Hello and welcome to the Pat King Show. I am your host, the Pat King. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to tune in today. I created this podcast for the sole purpose of helping everyone who listens and for the betterment of all people. This is a platform where we can unite and share stories of personal triumph, pain, successes, and failures so that we can learn from each other and become the best versions of ourselves. I get together with people from all backgrounds to have serious, real, raw, and hopefully even some fun conversations about health, fitness, wellness, personal and professional development, recovery, and even some brief discussions on current events as it pertains to helping people. My life's passion is to work on being a better human each day before my feet even hit the floor so that I can best serve others while they're on their journeys of personal transformation and hopefully empower them to chase their passions and their dreams. I hope you can take at least one thing away from this podcast that will help lift you up in some area of your life. Enjoy the show and be sure to stay tuned at the end for some special announcements. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to sell you anything. I promise. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Pat King Show. I am your host, Pat King. Uh, and today I have a special guest. Um, his name is Ed Cunningham. Ed is an Army vet, a former firefighter and paramedic. He's an author, a speaker, a firehouse sub-franchisee, CEO, and owner of First Responder Decon. Um, Ed has wrestled a live mountain lion. I can't <laughs> wait to hear more about that. And he's also been on uh, the X Factor show. So welcome to the show, Ed. <clears throat> Hi, Pat. Thanks. Appreciate thank, you having you. me. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and, and uh, coming on to the show. I uh, look forward to this conversation. Uh, so tell, the, tell everybody a little bit more about yourself, your background, and um, what gets you out of bed in the morning. So I've, I don't know. My life's been one of those weird, crazy lives of uh, – <clears throat> I just call them happy accidents. Uh, most of the stuff that I'm I'm doing or have done uh, really wasn't in the cards. Uh, it's just been, my mom once told me, and I'm, I'm working on a book right now, um, but my mom once said, she goes, your, your life's just the kind of life you want to pull out a lawn chair to margarita and just watch. <clears throat> um, I, I had a gentleman come up to me after one of the conferences I spoke at. And he's like, man, he goes, you just, you've been successful at, at so many things that you've done. And it kind of took me back because I told him, I said, you know, I'll be honest with you. I have not reached the apex of anything that I've done, anything. Um, and he goes, well, what do you mean? It just seems like you've, you've done so much and you've been successful. And I said, well, actually I, I haven't, I mean, I'll be real with you. I barely made it out of high school. Um, and then I went in the army and I was going to be in the army. That was going to be my career. Uh, I was going to do that for 20 years. I mean, I had a solid plan. And then a few years into it, uh, really two years into it, Clinton took office and took all of our funding away. And it just wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> so uh, I ended up that not being my career. I went to work on drill rigs, uh, made great money as a young kid. I was going to do that as a career because it's great money, but it was a miserable life. And then I finally pursued what I really loved, which was music. And that's moved out to Nashville um, and did music. I did well, um, never made it to the apex that I wanted to be. We had um, something pretty devastating happen to our family while we were out there, and it was kind of one of those moments of do we stay in Nashville where we have friends, or do we move back to Phoenix where we have family? So gave up that career, moved back here, 
uh, took a couple of years to just focus on healing my family, uh, healing ourselves. And, and it was a buddy of mine that was like, hey, uh, come do a ride along with my crew. I think you'd be a good firefighter. So I worked on becoming a firefighter, got hired on. Uh, and that was, a, that was a good career. I did that for about 10 years. Um, I really enjoyed that, but I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Um, and since I had left Nashville, uh, I hadn't really gotten into uh, starting a business. So started looking around. Um, I had friends that owned a whole bunch of Sonics and had talked to me about opening Sonics as well with them. Um, and one of the things I firmly believe in is if you're going to do something and you're going to succeed at it, having a good mentor who's already succeeded is more important than a master's degree in business or a master's degree in accounting. Having someone who's already done it cuts out having to reinvent the wheel. So I started learning from them about restaurants and I happened to eat at a firehouse subs. Again, just another happy accident, fell in love with the product, the idea of it that I could still serve public safety with it. Um, so I started putting together a, a, a franchise. Uh, finally opened the restaurant after years of working on it. And we started doing a charity project out of the restaurant, making a decon kits for firefighters. A lot of people don't know, but cancer is the number one killer of firefighters. And so we were making these decon kits. It's one of the only ones on the market that f removes and decontaminates our PPE, our bunker gear, before we even come off air. And it does it to an effective level that no one else does. <clears throat> we were just donating them though. We were raising money, using the money from the profits from the restaurant to buy these kits, to build them and donate them when it went viral. And the demand was too high for us to keep trying to raise money. So I started a little LLC took out a small business loan and got a warehouse and we've just launched our police line about four months ago. So it's going really well. Awesome. Awesome. Um, tell me a little bit more about the, uh, I don't know too much about, it. I watched one of the videos I think you had um, about the cancer initiative um, with the firefighters. Um, you're talking about the bill that was passed last, last year yeah. or just the yeah. whole cancer prevention initiative that we've the been whole, working on? Yeah. The whole cancer prevention initiative you've been working on. I wasn't aware of that, uh, as far as like cancer being the number one killer of firefighters, uh, until I was reading some of your information actually. Yeah, it has really, it's been about six years now that we really discovered that it's, it's more of an epidemic than, than we realized. Um, firefighters are about 70% more likely to get cancers. Um, right now here in Arizona, each state's different, but in Arizona we have 21 presumptive cancers now, where if you've been on longer than five years, it's also presumed, and you get any of these 21 cancers, it's presumed it, it came from the job. You know, it's, it's um, when we fought fire, say back in the, in the 50s and whatnot, you know, we did have asbestos scares, uh, lead paint scares, but for the most part, most of the material in a home was made out of natural products. Nowadays, there's so many synthetic, just odd products that we don't even know what, what they're putting into them, um, that when they combust, they're becoming this toxic soup of carcinogens that are absolutely horrific. And crazy thing was, one of the most deadly uh, byproducts of combustion that we face comes from the flame retardant spray that was federally required to be put on our furniture. When it combusts, the two main byproducts of it is arsenic and cyanide. Uh, and that's, you know, not only is it affecting us, but you also got to think that 
uh, if you run, so here at Phoenix, we have what's called the CAD system, computer automated dispatch, mm -hmm. and you can run different types of calls and see what calls happen and when. <clears throat> but when you have a, a working house fire, for the next week or so after the fire, there is a concentric circle of respiratory issue calls that go out. Um, so this affects public health. This affects you know the firefighters especially because we're frontline um, and police officers who are there on the front line with us as well. <clears throat> There's been zero studies um, that are done in depth on what the police officers face as well. And they're right there side by side in us on these house fires. Right. Um, it, there's, there's more than that. Um, there's so many work-related illnesses that we're finding that fire and police have everything from sleep apnea, uh, early onset Alzheimer's, early onset dementia. And I think over the next, really over the next six, seven years, as more studies are done, we're going to realize that more than just a burning building falling in on you or you falling in and, and, and burning to death, uh, which was usually the big scare for us. Um, sure. We're getting by a car on a, on a, on a, you know, MVA. Uh, it's the small things that we don't see that's killing us. And for firefighters, we didn't even realize, but it was our gear. Our gear is great at protecting us when we're in a fire, but once we come out, we are off gassing VOCs and we're just saturated with, you know, the, the byproducts that were in the smoke. And, uh, our gear was off gassing for up to another 72 hours after an incident, just wow. sitting there. And so even after we left the fire and even yeah. if we moved up, we got back to the station, it was off gassing in our cab. If we were off shift, we threw it in our locker. It was off gassing in our locker. So we've made a lot of industry changes uh, because of, of this new knowledge. Wow. That's awesome. And the, the initially you guys or not you, I guess, but how did the, how did y'all discover, how was this discovered that it was, was there like a, just alarming number of firefighters, you know, getting cancer and somebody kind of like a light bulb went off or. Yeah, it, it all came down to statistics. We, yeah. we started in, in the industry. We finally got smart about documenting our exposures. Uh, and we started really keeping stats, not just on the firefighters that were on the job, but the ones that retire, were retiring. <clears throat> and we saw a huge trend in retired firefighters getting uh, cancer and heart issues uh, within just years of them retiring. Um, the average lifespan of a firefighter post-retirement was only about 10, 15 years. Mm. Um, wow. Even the heart disease that we thought were, you know, we did this big, uh, this big thing in the, in the industry about uh, heart shape and heart health uh, about a decade, a decade and a half ago. Um, we're starting to realize that arsenic and cyanide embeds in the cardiac lining and actually causes uh, conductive issues. And most of the firefighters that were passing away of heart issues on the job were dying post-fire. So they were getting these high exposures to arsenic. We get back, you shower, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning, you jump into your bunk and they have a heart attack while they're asleep. Mm -hmm. We're finding that that's even from exposures now, um, not for being out of shape. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, well, it's, it's good. It's a good initiative and uh, I appreciate what you're doing, uh, especially for the first, first responders, anything that, you know, can help them, um, you know, it's a win in my heart. So um, Thank you. talk to, talk to us a little bit about like, what are some of the, 
some of the challenges that you faced in life? I mean, I know a little bit about your background, but not too much. Uh, some of the most difficult things that you've, you know, challenges you've faced in your life and, and, you know, what you've done to work through them. <clears throat> um, you know, we, we talked about the four agreements mm -hmm. um, in, in the beginning of this and what I love about this, I'll, I'll tell you how I, how I actually come, came to find the four agreements. Uh, so I was living in a car. I was homeless. Um, yep. That, love that book. I have probably read that book at least four or five times a year since I was in my early twenties. You got this, <laughs> you got this one too? The companion, the companion book. I do. Yeah. And I have the fifth agreement, mastery yeah. of love. <laughs> love it. I love it. All of them. I actually, I had a chance to meet Don Miguel and his sons uh, in Phoenix about two years ago. Um, and it was, it was a very, it was a good moment. I mean, I just, the, the energy and the spirit of those guys. Yeah, um, I bet. It was just the love that they give out. That's, that's what I'm working to, to be. Hmm. Um, so I was, when I got out of the military, I went to work on drill rigs. It was a miserable life, even though it was good money. Um, my first marriage was, was ending and uh, I was just a miserable man. Um, uh, and I got on my knees and I had never been raised very spiritual. I kind of had a Catholic upbringing on one side and a born again Pentecostal on the other side. Um, but I, I believe in a higher power. I believe in, in uh, a creator of the universe. And I just put out there, look, I want to be a better man. I want to be a good, a good father, a good man. And oddly enough, my life got harder when I made that prayer. Mm. And which tends to happen when you ask the universe for something, the universe doesn't just go, oh, okay, here, you can have it. I do believe this universe is here and created for us to create whatever we want. But the thing the universe does is prepare us for that blessing. Because if you're not prepared for a blessing, it ends up becoming a curse. That's why most people, was it they say that within like seven years of winning the lottery, people end up declaring bankruptcy. Right. Um, so my life got harder. Um, I came down off of the mountain from where I was working on the rig. My, uh, my wife at the time had blown all the money. I don't know where she hid it, but she got rid of it. So all I had left was one paycheck. <laughs> So I, I chased jobs and I ended up living in a car in Orem, Utah, but I was working four part-time jobs. So I was doing car sales on the night, bouncer at night on the weekend as well. Um, I was doing a delivery driver. I was a delivery driver in the mornings for this company called ZCMI. Uh, I went to the day labor office every day off and I was donating plasma just trying to get on my feet. Um, one of the places I was doing sales at, I would, I was good at, speaking, I guess. So I would stand up and they'd, they'd pay me 50 bucks a night to come in. It was a multi-level marketing company. I'd talk about the product. I'd talk about the, uh, the company side of it. And then they'd pay me cash and that was it. I would leave. Yep. Um, well, one night this gentleman named Bill uh, pulls me aside afterwards and asked me a bunch of questions about the product, asked me about the company, uh, asked me a lot of personal questions. And I even told him, I was honest with him. I said, yeah, I'm living in my car right now, trying to get back on my feet. Um, and he's like, well, you don't look homeless. And I said, well, I, I shower at a buddy's house and you know, I, I take care of myself, but yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to get back on my feet. And so he was like, oh, that's interesting. And he walked away and the owner of the office comes up and goes, oh my gosh, do you, do you know who that was? And I said, some guy named Bill. And she's like, oh my God. She goes, that's Bill Gould. 
She goes, he's the billionaire that owns the company. He's the guy that owns the company. Do you have any the idea? MLM like, company? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was an yeah. MLM called Equinox. Um, and so I was like, oh, he seemed like a nice guy. Well, the next time he came back through town, he sat me down and he gave me a list of books to read. And at the top of that was the four agreements. And he said, he goes, you have to read this one first. And he goes, it will unlock your entire belief system and allow you mm. to rewrite the negative blocks that stand in the way of your growth. And he goes, and <clears throat> the funny thing was, he goes, he goes, I always keep four or five in my briefcase to hand out. He goes, but I'm not going to give you one. He goes, I'm going to make you go buy one on your own. And I said, okay. And he goes, you can even why? And I said, well, I, I trust you. There's yeah. a reason for it. And he goes, you're so broke that $9 to you is like $50 to most people right now. He goes, and if you go spend that money on it, you're going to pay more attention to it and get more out of it. So my very next paycheck, I actually went and bought the book. And he told me, and this is great advice for anyone that's going to read the four agreements. This is the best way to read it. He goes, I want you to read it twice front to back. Mm -hmm. The first time you read it, he said, there's going to come moments in there when memories are going to pop up for you. He goes, these are moments in your life where you created a way of seeing either people or life that dictates who you are and the decisions that you make and the reactions that you have. He goes, when they come up, it's important that you don't work on them. When they first come up the first time through, honor them, show Polish gratitude them. for them and then let them go. Yep. And he goes, then when you go back the second time, once you finish the whole book, you'll have an understanding of the four agreements. When you read through it the second time in those exact same spots, those memories are going to come up for you. And when they do, he goes, then I want you to stop and work on them, journal them, however you decide to work on them, do some, some visual therapy, however you choose to, to work. He goes, and this is what a lot of people don't, don't realize. So one of the most early traumas for me was when I was molested as a child. So between the ages of about four and six, mm. um, I had a great aunt that had molested me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't even figure out who it was until really about three years ago. Um, for the longest time, I just knew it had happened. It had happened to me. It happened to my cousin. And I couldn't, We neither of us, we even talked about it as we got older in the teenage years. But what I didn't realize was even in my early 20s, when I first read The Four Agreements, I was still walking around with a four-year-old's version of sexuality. Right. Because that's when sexuality was introduced to me. I was four years old. I processed it as a four-year-old. And so I had this belief that a four-year-old created still dictating the way I viewed sexuality in my early 20s. And all of us have that. When, when, we're, when we're, I mean, the way Don Miguel describes it is when you're born, you have this blank book inside of you. I mean, your personality is who it is. You are who you are. But inside of you, your beliefs, the way you view yourself especially, have not been written yet. And the minute you learn to communicate, because the first thing your parents do is teach you to talk. They teach you to communicate. And when you do, the first thing they do is teach you to be the version of you they see. You're, you're a good boy or a bad boy, a good girl or a bad girl, if you adhere to it. And through punishment and reward, they teach you to be who they think you're supposed to be, how to fit into the family, how to fit into your church, how to fit into school, how to fit into society as a large, how to fit into our nation. Uh, and then eventually how to fit into the world as your circle grows. Right. And a lot of these beliefs, again, were processed at, you know, four years old, five years old, six years old, 
seven years old, 12 years old, 13 year old, really impressionable years. And they continue to dictate us. I mean, I've, I've counseled and coached with people that are in their sixties that are still running off of teenage um, beliefs, right? You know, that they processed when they were 13 years old and they've, they've kept those around and they haven't gone back to process those. Um, so this book unlocked that for me. Um, I, I did exactly what he said. I read it through twice. And on the second time I started going back through um, the being molested as a child was something that was very powerful in my belief system. It was one of the first ones that came up <clears throat> and I looked back on that moment and the way I do things is visually mm-hmm. and how I reprocessed that as a 22 year old was I imagined my 22 year old self walking in right after it had happened to my four year old self. And I imagined picking myself up, my four year old self and holding me, which is exactly what that four year old needed and didn't get. And then I said the things to that four year old that that four year old needed to know you're beautiful. You're not ugly. They are what they did to you was ugly. Um, sex is a beautiful thing when, when done between, you know, two people who love each other and are committed to each other. Um, all of the healthy ideas and beliefs that I needed to make as, as a kid, I re I rewrote. And that's, you know, that's how I chose to redo it. Some people like to journal. Some people like to do counseling me. I'm a, I'm a visual, um, kind of person. So that's how I reprocess that one. Is that the same kind of experience you've had with the book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a whole section I'm working on my book. Um, and there's a whole chapter that is just about beliefs and how I, you know, reprogram my belief system. Um, and, and very similar. I think a lot of people that I talk to who, who that have used this book that's helped them change their life have very similar experiences. Um, you know, and so when I, when I talk to people about like, dropping all beliefs and like just like starting fresh with a blank canvas. And, and I, I mean it in the quite literal sense is like, I don't believe anything anymore. And that's kind of where, that's kind of what I started with when I read this book and I did the same thing as far as like reading it for, you know, cover to cover and then coming back through and nobody told me to do it. That's typically what I do with books is like, I'll read it or I'll listen to it all the way through. And then if it was, you know, the things that stand out to me or whatever, I'll go back and like study it, you know, in a sense. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's pretty much how it worked for me. And um, reprogramming our belief system, man, is like the, like that is, it's just, to me, it is probably the number one thing that people should focus on like immediately. And again, what you said about that being like the first book you would recommend, it's that and awareness by Anthony DeMello for me, what I recommend people that I've worked with or people that I just want to help. Um, Cause I'll recommend the book awareness uh, and the book and the four agreements. I'm like, read these two books and then let's talk, you know, cause they're both short books or relatively short reads um, and you can get through them. And then we have a, someplace a basis to work from but everything in the world i mean if we look at everything that's going on in the world right now it's like people are acting and behaving based on their beliefs yeah and it doesn't necessarily make them right or wrong and like nobody's well i mean there is some right and wrong um but 
you know, there's right. I don't necessarily know about wrong because it's all based on our personal beliefs. And um, so we all have to, we all have to look at that. Like we, you know, and I still like my girlfriend, I gave this to her to read. She'd never read it. She reads, you know, she reads a ton of books. She's into personal empowerment and personal development like I am. And she gave it back to me last night and it was good timing. Cause I, I'm like at a place where it's time for me to reread this again. You know, I'm getting too wrapped up in some of the stuff that's going on in the world. And, you know, it's not take nothing personally. Yeah. Take <laughs> it's nothing hard. personally. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to do. And I, you know, the last couple of months have been, it, it's been really rough for me. Um, you know, and this is what I go back to. This is the found, this is my foundation. And I know yeah. that, you know, and I know that, um, <clears throat> but I have a tool to go back to and I have to always go back and look at my beliefs. Um, and even well, though and I, I go ahead. I, I absolutely love what you said about going back and, and starting over fresh, almost mm. like you have no belief system. Right. Um, if somebody truly wants to create self mastery in their life, if they truly want to master themselves, they've got to be courageous enough to scrutinize every single belief, yep. every single belief, because the only thing, the only thing that withstands scrutiny is truth. Yeah. So, not need to follow truth does not need people to believe in it for it to exist however lies do and the more you see people and groups out there trying to recruit and force people to their belief systems the more you can recognize the people that aren't living truth um, people have become way too comfortable with their discomfort that uh, they don't want to change and it, it, it is very I don't think it's uncomfortable anymore, but it was very uncomfortable in the beginning because here, when you, when you have your book of agreements and you've got all these different agreements inside of it, you're constantly going out going, Hey, what's in your book? What do you believe when you meet someone that really what it becomes is almost a negotiation. That's what most relationships are nowadays. You, you go out and you go, this is what I believe. This is where I, I, I believe I am in society. This is where I believe I am as a husband, as a father, you know, and then like for dating, you know, and then the woman goes, well, this is what I believe a, a father and a husband is. And you go, well, okay, that's not a solid belief of mine. I can let that go and grab onto yours. And you negotiate these relationships until you're both like, okay, I think our agreements are pretty written or are written close enough that we can go ahead and move on to the next step, which is marriage and family. Mm -hmm. um, but when you start to scrutinize, and here's, here's my, my big warning about reading the, the four agreements and actually applying it to your life. When you start to be brave enough to scrutinize every one of your beliefs, you are risking losing the comfortable relationships that you have, including the one with yourself, but especially the ones with the ones around you who you have become this, this solid secondary character in their lives. The way you fit in, who you're supposed to be, how you're supposed to act, because every time you change a belief, you're gonna change your reactions and you're gonna change your actions. You're gonna be less reactive but your pro actions are going to, are going to be changed to a point that people who were comfortable with you are going to be uncomfortable around you. And you will start to lose some of the people that you thought were the closest. Um, that's where to me, the courage really comes in because too many people, one of their beliefs is they have to have kind of the crab bucket theory. You have to be surrounded by a bunch of people in order to feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, very few people have gotten to a point in their self mastery that they are comfortable by themselves. They're comfortable on their own. 
Uh, and that's what's going to happen. As you become healthier, even with, with, with my divorce, um, you know, I, we, went through, we went through utter hell after we moved back from Nashville. Um, and the trial that we went through as a family, um, I wouldn't wish on anybody. And it unfortunately took its toll on the marriage. Um, but I sat down and I, I didn't, I never told her in the beginning that I wanted a divorce. But what I told her was, is I've allowed you to feed off of me in a very negative way for a very long time as I've tried to heal everyone else around. I said, now it's my turn to heal. I said, that man that I used to be, that you fell in love with, who was larger than life, who was singing on stage, who was, you know, out networking and hanging out with, with big people. And I said, that's what I'm going to get back to. That's mm -hmm. the man I want to be. I said, and I need you to understand that we've gotten in this habit of negatively feeding on each other. And as I get back to loving myself again, I'm not going to be able to allow you to stay in my life the way you are. Now, I want you to come with me. I want you to be on this journey. I want you to change with me. I want to grow together. And I want to get on the other side of this and be able to say, look what we survived. I said, and if you do this with me, we'll build a marriage that is, that is unshakable. I said, but I love you unconditionally. And in doing that, I have to accept who you choose to be. And because of the man that I'm choosing to become, if you keep choosing to be the woman that you are, we're going to end up divorced. I'm going to end up having to walk away. Yeah. Um, and she, she did pretty well, you know, for a while, but it was more about comfort for her. You know, even, even, like I said, people become comfortable with discomfort so much that they think it's safe to remain there. And so they, so they know. Yeah. And so we just, we ended up growing apart, uh, ended up divorced. Um, which again, back to the whole courageous part, you have to be courageous enough to let go of everything if you want to gain it all back um, in a healthy way. And once you have that, I, the refinement process and all of the unhealthiness leaves your life, even because the deeper the roots are, the more painful it is when they leave your life. Um, you'll have the opportunity to build your life and rebuild your circle with people who are healthy like you. And that's when you create real synergy in your community, real synergy in your friendships, in your business, in everything else that you do. And that's where your ability to create just is exponential. It's unbelievable what you could do when you hit that moment. You know, I, I, I kind of made a joke earlier about my life is full of happy accidents, but that's the way most people see it. To me, it's about fixing the inside and then allowing the universe to bless you as it sees fit and puts you where you need to be at the time that you need to be uh, to do what you're really called here to do. Right. Nice. So one of the other things that we had uh, talked well, not talked about in an email at least was a uh, topic, a touchy, touchy subject of death. Um, and um, I'm interested in your perspective on that. And as we, as it relates to, you know, the, to this and to life and, and moving forward in life. Sure. Um, are you talking about healing from losing someone to death? Or are you talking about our own death? Talking about our own death or yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, I'm sure you have a perspective. I'm just guessing um, that you have a perspective on like a, a whole perspective on the whole thing, but like, um, yeah. So my, my perspective on death is, 
I think to understand death, you have to understand who you are and what your existence is. Um, I fully believe these are these are my beliefs that this existence that we're in is just a temporary university mm. of learning about the physical side of the existence that we are. I believe that we existed before we came here as spiritual beings. I believe in a heavenly father. I believe um, that we are his literal children. I believe that every one of us are literal children of the creator of the universe. And that the reason why this existence was created was so that we can understand the physical side to creation and move from being just spiritual beings who only knew joy into understanding the full spectrum. So when you exist in joy only, you can't have respect for it. You can't fully understand it, especially if you've never had a suffering, if you've never fallen and had to pick yourself back up. That was the purpose of this creation. And to me, this is a just on the eternal timeline of our lives. This is a blink of an existence. This mm -hmm. is a very tiny portion of who we're supposed to be. And I believe that it's one of the most crucial points of, of, of us. We came here, we had a veil placed over us of forgetfulness that we wouldn't remember exactly who we were, but we have this yearning inside of us to return to that. Um, I think that's why every person I've ever met, I don't care who they are, how, how, how degraded they have been to themselves, have a yearning uh, for something better. Hmm. Um, I think this is our time to educate ourselves, to fall, to pick ourselves back up, to learn, to grow, um, to become better so that we can move on to what our real existence is. Now, if you find that kind of belief, however you want to define it, you know, people believe in reincarnation, people believe in whatnot, but when you understand that there is a hereafter, this isn't the existence we're supposed to have for the rest of our eternal lives, uh, death takes on a whole new meaning. Hmm. Um, because you know it's just a, a temporary thing. It's just a, a gateway to what we're supposed to be. Um, as a firefighter, as a paramedic, um, I've seen a lot of death. Um, we all have. And the four agreements, this is something I speak on when I talk um, to police officers and firefighters about PTSD, um, or you know, write about it, is, is one of the four agreements is don't take anything personally. Mm. And it sounds a little crass at first, and it sure. sounds a little too vague, but when you really delve into what that agreement itself means, um, nothing anyone does has anything to do with you. Yeah. Everything everyone does only has to do with their beliefs who, and, and how they see you and how they see things. Um, as firefighters, as police officers, we see the ugly of life quite a bit. And most of us have hearts of service where we want good outcomes. That's what we're constantly working towards is good outcomes. Even, even nowadays with all the political stuff that's going on where they're trying to make police officers to be you know, these bad guys, almost every single police officer I've ever met is doing what they do because they want to make a difference in their community in a positive way. Yep. Uh, but we see the ugly side of people all the time. And it can be easy to be jaded, especially when you're doing CPR on a child and you want the child to come back and then it doesn't when you see um, one of the hardest calls that I've ever been on was a, a drunk driver had gone head on into the vehicle of a nurse that we were friends with. She was just leaving work wow. and was driving home and there was nothing I could do. Uh, 
her body had just been damaged so bad, but they're so quick, she was still barely alive. And so all I could do was hold her while she just slowly died. Mm. Um, and I had another lady standing there to the side screaming at me, do some shock her, give her mouth to mouth. I mean, and you're like, lady, it only works in the movies. Like it's right. This is not real life. I mean, her, she was just mutilated. There was nothing I could do except be there in that moment. Um, and I, I just held her slowly said a prayer with her and then she passed and uh, covered her up and I got out of the back of the car. Um, it's what you do with it after that, that either helps you grow or kind of do into this, this, we call it PTSD, but puts you in this, this hole of mm -hmm. despair. There was the other, one of the other agreements, always do your best. Learning to accept that is another hard thing for firefighters and police officers um, because our best isn't always going to be enough. Actually, right. and I'll be real with you, most of the time it's not enough. But if you did your best in training and you did your best on scene, you should be able to walk away with your head held high. But a lot of us take things so personally that they don't. And that's, you know, again, where it builds up. Um, I think the four agreements helped me in my career uh, to not fall into that um the engine that i was on averaged 4100 calls a year for the one engine oh, wow. uh, i was one of the busiest in the united states and we ran it was a very diverse socioeconomic small city and we ran a lot of crazy calls um when you take things so personally because you wanted this outcome you start to get angry you start to get bitterness and then you start finding escapes for it that's where alcohol drugs and mm. you know pornography is a real big escape for people Yep. And then that just further tears you down, you know, into it. So um, I use the four agreements a lot when it comes to talking to people about PTSD and trying to pull them back up out of that. Uh, I know I got a little sidetracked on that, but for me, uh, death no longer scares me. Um, it did when I was younger, probably in my teenage years, um, even in the military I was scared to die and I didn't, mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't hold me back, but uh, I was scared to die and I was scared to give death to others. Um, now I'm not, I'm not scared of it uh, because I believe in where we're going to go from here. Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I think learning, I mean, it's, it's just like anything, Ed, it's like learning about things um, and understanding them and, and, looking for answers as to why things happen. Um, and the answers are typically right in front of us if we're paying attention. Um, it's no different with death, you know. Um, you know, I was, my life was riddled with death um, from my grandfather, my mother at a young age, my brother at a young age, um, you know, and, and my, you know, three of my best friends in my first, you know, 30 years of my life uh, taken from me. Like, so it was, it took me a long time to understand death and, and learn the lessons of it um, and to, in a weird way, embrace it, you know, um, yeah. you know, learning, like understanding the, my first experience with understanding death as it pertains to being afraid to die was um, I, I was staying at this uh, Buddhist temple in Ellensville, New York. Uh, it's a Kadapa temple for world peace. And, um, so I was, I was living there. Um, you know, I, I did a short stint of, of 
took a vow of silence and just was into like a lot of meditation, like daily, um, all these practices, like deep dive into, um, you know, into my mind and uh, understanding, trying to understand myself and life and, you know, just like a lot of us go through looking for answers to everything. And, um, but one of the, one of the meditations that I had to do was it was a meditation on death where you like literally would lay there and you would imagine yourself, like the whole room is on fire, you know, the fire surrounding you. And then you, you imagine yourself actually dying. Um, and then you actually visualize the people who love you, um, looking over you. Um, Mm. and like, it was just this whole profound experience and it scared the shit out of me initially. Um, you know, but going through that process and, and getting more comfortable and understanding it, um, it relieved me of the fear of death and it opened me up to, uh, being able to better understand why other people die. Now that I'm over my fear of death, um, now I have a better, a little bit better understanding why other people die and like the lessons we can learn from them and, and, and not taking it personally, you know, um, it's easy sure. for us to, it's easy for us to be a victim and, you know, feel sorrow and pain and that's all normal and we should feel that otherwise are we human? I mean, um, you know, so having a little bit better understanding of, of death and, and people dying in my life and, and in a weird way, just, you know, embracing it, you know, embracing when people die um, and remembering them, changing your perspective and remembering that person for the good. Um, you know, like when it comes to my mom, you know, I, I, you know, I struggled with her death. She died when I was 18, a senior in high school. Um, and I struggled with her death my whole life. Like I went through therapy. I went through, like, I went through all these things thinking that I worked through it, but I never really did work through it. You know, I was still suppressing it. I was doing these, I was taking these actions to try to work through them, but I really, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was working through. Like, am I working through uh, the abandonment issue? Am I working through the physical death of her? Am I working through what she was like before she died? Um, So, and to be able to put it in perspective and, and really embrace the things that she taught me and take away the, all the, all the things that the ways that she raised me and the person that she helped make me become, um, and focusing on those things and not remembering her when she was, you know, on her deathbed and when she was, you know, terminally ill towards the end and like not, you know, not forgetting that, but that's not what my mind goes to anymore. Um, when I think about her, you know, so, like I couldn't really get to that perspective prior to doing a better job at understanding death as a whole, you know, and, you know, and, and how it affects us. Yeah. And it's, I went through the same thing. My mother passed in 2010. Mm. Um, I was older than 18 at the time. Um, but it's, I rarely remember the last year, and how you know physically she had just deteriorated because of the cancer and especially the last like 14 days where she just Mm, went downhill um but i remember all of all of the good stuff now um you know and you what was it you had said you had said something about um people tend to question like why did this person die so my mom um amazing woman um my my egg donor is what i call my mother 
was into drugs, ran out mm. on us when I was four years old. Yeah. This woman who I call my mom came into my life when I was what five and a half, six years old, and was just an incredible woman. Never smoked, had a glass of wine once in a while, uh, ate real healthy, except for her daily Dr. Pepper, um, mm. <laughs> but couldn't. But again, and she ends up with a horrible form of breast cancer that's super aggressive, and it ends up taking her from us. And then you see these people that are just, in my opinion, broken, evil human beings that just mm. tend to live forever. You yep. know, they, they smoke three and a half packs a day. They, you know, they, they hate people, and they're angry, and they're mean, and they're bitter, and they just seem to live forever. And there's, there's two sides to this. Why do the good people die? And then you ask, why does that person live? Why does that person get to live? I had to find personally, I had to find faith in, you know, some people call it karma or whatever. I call it universal justice. Um, I fully believe that again, we are the creators of everything around us, everything in our lives that deal with us, we create those things. Um, so if that's true, then the people that live a long time, even in their bitterness, they're creating that. And there's a, there's a purpose behind it. Just like there's a purpose for, you know, my, my mother passing, maybe I don't understand it. And that's where having faith in that comes in. Um, you know, I, so I, I, I do believe um, in Christ. I believe in the atonement. I'm, I'm very much a, a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, when this was one of the most difficult lessons that I had to go through in my life, but the trial that we went through was, um, my son, his stepfather, before I had gotten custody of my boys had hurt him in a horrific way. And when we moved back to Phoenix, not only was I working on healing my family, but I was working on punishing that guy. I was going to get him prosecuted. I was going to get, I was going to destroy his life. I mean, I was, I was going to get my justice and the harder I worked at it, the less I was able to accomplish. And I came to a point where I realized that my anger and bitterness towards this guy was getting in the way of me loving my family the way they needed to, to heal. And so I had a moment where I went for a walk and I found this little stone bench to this park. And I remembered my belief and my faith in universal justice that all things in the end do uh, measure out. And I got on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, I know he's your son too. And I know you love him. I don't understand that kind of love yet. I hope to one day. I said, but I hand him to you. I give him over to you and I forgive him. And I cried, but the weight that lifted in that moment was massive. I didn't even realize I had been carrying that much weight in my hatred towards this guy, Mm -hmm. but I let it go completely. And the crazy thing was, was after that, I began to see um, and get just little bits of, of his story where he had, at the ages of like four to nine, been raped by his mom and dad, his, his blood mom and dad. And then they went to jail. He got sent off to live with his aunt and uncle, who in t- also turned around and molested him until he was 18. Um, and I began to actually have compassion for the man that had done this horrific thing that had ripple effects that he would never understand. But one of the questions I kept asking myself is God, why do you let someone like that live? 
And it wasn't like an anger at God, like, why are you letting this man live? It was right. genuinely why I want to understand why. And the answer to me was um, kind of what I came to the conclusion was that we're here on this earth again to learn, to grow. And God gives us every chance to do that. If we get to a point where we can't, where we absolutely have made the decision that no matter what happens to us, no matter what trials we go through, we're not going to change. We're still going to be angry, bitter, horrible humans towards other humans. God removes us from the planet. And um, after that realization, a few months later, I received a newspaper clipping that says, Michael Hazlitt struck by lightning in, freaks, in a freak lightning storm while riding horse. And it was, wow. you call it karma, call it whatever you want. Right. The Heavenly Father removed him from the earth with prejudice. Yeah. And I, I still have it. I have it. It's, it's laminated. <laughs> it's in my memory box. Um, but it's, it's so hard for us. We take things so personally that in the outcomes that we want or the outcomes that we wish we hadn't had that we get in the way of it measuring itself out. We get in the way of, cause we're so busy creating without realizing it. We get in the way of the universe being able to, to uh, even the playing field, so to speak. Um, I was so busy pursuing justice after him that I wasn't letting justice happen. I didn't give him over uh, to the universe like I should have and just have faith that it does all come, come out right. in the end. Yeah. You're, you're just too attached to the, to the outcome of it. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, so what are the, as, as far as the, the agreements go, uh, any other advice you give people uh, with the book, like some things they can look forward to taking away from it? Um, again, just read it twice. Mm. Um, read it straight through the first time. Uh, memories that come up, honor them, show gratitude and let them go no matter how painful they are. Read it through a second time and then work on it through on the second time. Um, be patient with yourself. Don't, um, don't expect it to be an overnight process. Uh, I mean, this is 20 years, 23 years later from when I first read that book. Um, and I still go through reprocessing things. Mm. Even, um, even though I was 22 when I processed what had happened to me when I was four years old, I've gone back as a 25 year old, a 30 year old, a 35 year old, a 40 year old, um, reprocessing that event as I've learned and as I've grown, uh, to create healthier and healthier agreements. Yeah. Um, it gets to a point when you finally let go of your need to feel right and choose to actually be right <laughs> and allow truth to come into your life, your life gets much easier that, that you'll realize you really weren't as safe as you thought you were living in your belief. Yeah. Um, but it just, it becomes magical. I mean, it, it, your life just creation just happens. The universe lives to bless us with everything we could possibly want to create. Amen, we just got to get out of our own way. We just got to get out of our own way. Yeah. We got to get out of our own way and take, take the necessary steps and the little, the small things, the small actions on a daily basis and create um, healthy habits. And, um, and it all starts coming together at some point. It doesn't happen overnight, but man, is it worth it? You know, uh, is it worth being committed to, to change? You know, once you make that decision to like do something different and you're tired of living and feeling the way you are, um, you know, and if you are, uh, the four agreements is a great place to start, um, yep. trans transforming your life for sure. So, yeah. And, and I, I love what you said. You've got to just wait for the, the blessings to come. So mm -hmm. for me and what Bill Gould had told me is he says, look, all creation begins on the, on the inside first. 
Yep. If you, the universe is waiting to give it to you, but it will not give it to you until you are ready. If you focus on the inside, if you focus on healing, if you focus on growth, if you focus on letting go of negative agreements and writing good ones, healthy ones, the creation will just happen on its own. He goes, your problem, son, is you're pursuing money, pursuing wealth, thinking that it's going to change and, and find happiness. And people do that. They get married because they think it's going to make them feel better. They have kids because they think it's going to complete their life. It'll never happen until you complete yourself on the inside. Yep. Until you feel like you're complete on the inside, the blessings just fight themselves to not come into your life. But when you fix it on the inside, you are totally open to receiving what really what I call just the infinite. I mean, yep. the, the, and, and that's really what creation is. It's completely infinite in what we can accomplish with it. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you working on now? Are you, do you coach people or what are you doing now? Um, so, yeah, um, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the term coach. Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's kind of overused, especially in the last like five, yeah, ten years. Yeah. And er everybody calls themselves coach. Someone goes through a bad time and they heal from a divorce and they're suddenly a divorce coach. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do do, I do mentoring. Um, yeah. it's because of my two businesses right now. Uh, and how busy I am. I have not taken on a lot of personal clients. Um, I do corporate coaching too for uh, executives. Um, but I warn you, and I'm going to say this to any CEOs and stuff that hire me, don't hire me to come in and fix your employees because I believe your business is a direct reflection of you and mm. I'm going to come in and work on you. Um, <laughs> so right. I can't, I've been hired before and I sit down with them and in the first hour, like, why are you asking me all these personal questions? Why are you delving into my beliefs? It starts with you. <laughs> Go fix my employees. <laughs> nah, it's not Don't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do. Uh, I'm working on my book. It's called Lawn Chairs and Margaritas. Nice. Um, I, when I speak at conferences, uh, I use my stories. I, I'm very personal. I don't have a problem talking about the things that I have been through, even mm -hmm. as far as they were, uh, so I've had a lot of people asking for those stories. Um, I started the book about six months ago. Um, should be completed by April of uh, next year and available. It's a lot of work, uh, isn't it? It's, you know, it's funny because it, it's talking about getting out of your way. One of my, one of my biggest fears um, was that I would write these stories and it would affect the people that are still living because they were a real people right. that really affected my life. And it was finally a friend of mine who's a, a best-selling author. And she said, look, stop trying to write a completed book. She goes, you're trying to write the finished product from the moment you're, you're typing on the mm -hmm. keyboard. She goes, just write, let yeah. it all out. We'll go back through and edit. And we'll even go to these people. We'll ask their permission and we'll do rewrites on some of the things if we need to. Uh, Cause I'll be honest with you. Some of the most traumatic people in my life, became my greatest examples of overcoming demons and becoming an amazing person. Sure. And I didn't, I didn't want the trauma that they caused in my life to have other people define who they are. You know, I, I want to, but again, we can, we can write through that, but yeah. uh, I'm excited about it. Um, it's brought a lot up for me um, as mm. to what I've been through yep. and uh, I am excited for that to come out. So yeah, I, I do conferences. If people are looking for people to come in and speak, speak in corporate settings, nice. uh, I'm available for that. Sweet. Yeah. I know, uh, the, the book thing is it's, you know, something I've been working on too and a couple years into it and really just kind of same thing, like looking for the finished product when I'm doing it and I have to put it on the shelf sometimes and just like, uh, I'm, I'm too many times I'm trying to force it and it does bring up a lot of things. 
Um, like just a couple months ago, I was working on a timeline and it just like, it just, it brought up a lot of things that I, I wasn't prepared to, to deal with. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting process. And of course, as, as time, my biggest challenge with writing my, finishing my book is, um, that things I was writing about two years ago, uh, my perspective on has, has changed. And yeah. I, I find that constantly happening and having to go back and rewrite things. And, and I'm, it, it, I don't know, man, I, I'm kind of in a place <laughs> where I'm stuck. And because my perspective changes so much because I, I'm constantly, I'm an education junkie. Like I need to learn. I'm a learner, you know, and I keep learning. And as I experience more things and as I continue to learn more things, my perspective changes daily, sometimes by the minute on certain things. And uh, so it's, it's really hard to, to generalize certain things to get to the end product. Um, so I, you know, for me, I just kind of have to like, let it go. And when it happens and stop putting like unrealistic time restraints on myself and, and just to let it evolve and come into what it's supposed to be. And, and yeah, so it's, it's been an yeah, interesting it, process. There's nothing wrong with going back two or three years later yeah. and rewriting some of it and coming yeah. up with the 2.0 version of, of your book, yep. you know, just yep. get it, get it out there. Yeah. Because yeah, right absolutely. now it, the only thing it's doing is, is sitting in, in your mind and on your computer right. when there's a lot of people that could be benefiting from it. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so if, if I were to ask you to give one piece, all right, I'm going to ask you for two pieces of advice for people. So maybe not advice for people, but for the world in general, with everything that's happening right now, like what would you, if you could give people, if you could give the general public one piece of advice on how to deal with things that are going on in the world and how to get through them, what would that be? Um, again, I, I believe all creation starts within mm. first and foremost. Yep. Um, and I think one of the biggest breakdowns we have in society is too many people are trying to fix outside of them when what's inside of them is broken. And if people were to take the moments to heal themselves and, and the number one thing that we can all learn that will fix every relationship, it will end all wars, it will end all strife is to understand and practice unconditional love of self. Mm. When I was in the middle of my divorce. We were doing couples counseling and you know, my ex was like, I, I don't, I don't believe that you want to get divorced. And my therapist was like, well, you know, why is that? And she's like, well, I know I've done this, 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 this. She had a whole list of things that she had done that any one of them would be a cause for a divorce. And she's like, but I just still don't believe he wants a divorce. And the therapist even goes, well, you just gave him like 15 reasons. Why, why do you not believe it? She's like, he's still kind to me. Like he's even toward me. How does he want to get a divorce when he doesn't hate me? Her idea was it had to be at a point where you hated each other to get divorced. I said, and she goes, you know, and, and if, you know, he keeps talking about this unconditional love and he unconditionally loves me. Well, if he did, then he'd accept me for who I am. And I said, and he goes, he looks at me, he goes, do you want to explain it to her? And I said, I do unconditionally love you. I said, I didn't used to. I said, I'll be honest, because I wanted you to change. I wanted you to be better. I wanted you to be happier. I wanted you to be healthier. I wanted you to have more peace in your life. And everything I did was to try and help you heal, because that's what I am. I was a fixer. Yep. And I said, and I realized I was loving you with conditions. I was trying to turn you into the woman 
that would love me. Yeah. Instead, I learned to unconditionally love you and accept you for who you are. And now I can actually love you more freely. And if you can learn to unconditionally love yourself that way, it just becomes easier to love everyone else that way. You stop getting angry when somebody disagrees with you and you can still show them love. Um, you know, I, I, I almost got in a fight a couple of years ago in a bar. I was on a date, actually. We tried to play pool and this big old dude comes over to fight. It's my table, I've been waiting forever. And I'm like, dude, we only got one game in. You know, let me buy you a beer. We're going right. to play a couple more games and we'll give you the table. He's like, oh, F you. I'm coming. All right. He starts walking around the table. And I said, hold on a second. Just, just wait. I said, look at you. Your heart rate's up. You're breathing really fast. You're obviously scared. I said, I'm talking to you calmly. I said, so I, either I'm too stupid to know what's about to happen or I do know what's about to happen and I'm not worried about it. I said, I would much rather us just talk about this. I'll buy you a beer. I'll buy your buddies a beer. I'll buy you all around. And then we could just get through this. I said, there's right. no reason for this. And he just stood there staring at me. And he goes, wow, F you. And he turned around and walked away. <laughs> um, but he came back about 10 minutes later once he had a chance to really reason through what had happened. Because he wasn't expecting that. Most people in society would be like, well, F you too. Rah, rah, rah. It escalates right. and the energy escalates until it, boom, and it finally explodes and people get hurt. Yep. Um, but I didn't, I didn't meet his energy. I didn't take his energy on. I didn't take it personally. I just went, look, this doesn't need to happen. Mm. Um, and it gave him a totally different option that he hadn't thought. Of. He thought it was going to escalate till it exploded. Um, and that's just an example of what we can do with everything in our lives, you know, and I've, I've had people that ultimately I disagree with, completely disagree with, they completely disagree with me. But when you learn to just talk about it and have unconditional, I love you. I don't, I don't, I don't care that we disagree. Right. I, I don't. I, I don't care what your beliefs are. I don't care how mean you are. I don't. Care. I, I'm still gonna love you, and I'm. You know, I'm still gonna love me too. It just changes it. The, all of this would go away. So for. I'm sorry. So back to it is unconditional love for self. When you learn to stop abusing yourself and unconditionally love yourself, you will stop abusing others and you will unconditionally love them, and that will open up the chance for them to feel what love is and make a new decision for themselves as well. And if everybody, if everybody were to take that and just start working on themselves, all strife would end. Yep. All wars would end. We would be a completely different planet, but it's mm -hmm. got to start inside unconditional love for self first and then yeah. practicing it with others. Yeah. How bad do you want to be free? Like, you know what I mean? That's why I ask yeah. people and I tell people all the time, it's like, how bad do you want to be free? And I don't, and I'm not talking about like the freedoms that, you know the the country offers us but i'm talking about free inside like how yeah like how bad do you want to be free of pain and suffering and anger and you know how we everything in life is how we the results are how we about how we react and respond to things and sure. you know that that book has changed my life so anybody who knew me three years ago or four years ago and beyond that and, and they talk to me now it's just like I've, I'm a complete different person. Like I have a different disposition. I still react, but I react differently, you know? Um, you know, and I'm not like, I don't react to things the way I used to. And that, that is 100% related to how we react to ourselves as well. Yes. Like you're talking about being kind to ourselves and having compassion and forgiving ourselves. And it's easy to beat ourselves up you know, constantly. And most people don't even realize they're doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But that's where the awareness comes in. We have to pay attention, you know? Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's a, 
there's a great video circulating around um, of a Trump rally going on where a Black Lives Matter contingent comes to the rally just because they want to cause issues. They want to argue, they want to yell, they want to raise their fists in the air and, and they want the Trump people to hit them and they want yeah. to start this. There's a lot of that. Um, and the, the guy leading the Trump rally up on stage, everybody stop, everybody stop, everybody stop. And he goes, my brother, come up here on stage. Yeah. And he invited the Black Lives Matter people up on stage. And he goes, I goes, I'm going to take my time and I'm going to give it to you because we want to hear what you have to say. And the guy was kind of like, so he walks up on stage and he takes the mic and he starts talking about being an American, having freedoms, being treated fairly. And the crowd starts cheering. And the crowd, yeah, because we all want the same thing. Yes. And that yeah. was the thing is once, once the guy, you know, because they, they could have butted heads and they all could have said, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, right I'm right. The funny thing was is 90% of what the guy said, probably even greater than that, the mm. entire crowd was completely behind him on it. Yeah. Um, and then they interviewed him afterward, talked about it. He says, man, he goes, I couldn't, I couldn't believe they did that. Like, I, I didn't think Trump supporters were like that. I, I thought they hated black people. I thought they were all racist. I thought, you know, the conversations that happened afterwards, the people that came up to him to talk afterwards was just unbelievable. But again, it was that one person standing on stage that practiced unconditional love by saying, my brother, come up here and let's, let's hear what you have to say too. Yeah. Um, we need it, to do a lot more of that. God gave us best advice from my grandpa. And I love, I love my grandpa. He's a good old Southern boy. And he has the most basic, it, it sounds crazy, simple logic, but it always made sense. Things like, you know, boy, if you, if you always keep your gas tank full, when you have a light paycheck, you won't run out of gas. But if you always run your gas tank on empty, you have a light paycheck, you're running out of gas, you're on the side of the road. I've applied that to yeah. relationships, everything else. But one of the best pieces of advice he ever gave me about relationships is he said, boy, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the truth. We're so busy talking and not doing enough of this that yeah. uh, if we just took a moment, we'd see we have a lot more in common than we do. Oh, different. absolutely. And I just want to touch on, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but um, you know, it's just, it's people's, it's perception. It's how we view things that changes everything. If we just take our, let our guard sure. down and view things a little bit differently and have an open mind. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm somewhere in the middle. Like I'm a, I'm definitely a conservative leaning independent, but you know, the, the things I hear about people who, who I hear stories like that all the time about people who met Trump supporters and they thought they were this and then they really weren't. And the only thing I can say for sure about like Republicans, conservatives is that they, they lead by example. And that's why they don't see a lot of fight back. And I'm not saying that there's right or wrong on either side, but sure. the, the narrative that, that, that Republicans and Trump supporters and all these people are like, they're bad, they're evil, they're, they're racist, they're this, they're that. It's like, from an independent perspective, I cannot tell you how wrong that is. Like, I can't emphasize enough how wrong mm -hmm. that is. And, you know, I support everybody. And like, I want anybody who takes the time to, to read and educate themselves. And I implore everybody to do that, whether it's with COVID or politics or whatever, do your own research think for yourself and make your own decision. And you, when you open your heart and your mind up and to, to, to people on the conservative side, or if you're not sure, it, a lot of people don't like Trump as a person, but it, it doesn't, 
it doesn't matter. You want what's best for the country. So you want him to succeed as a president because he has some really good right. things that he wants to do for the country, like him or not, you know, and, um, right. and just having that perspective change and keeping an open mind. And you don't have to be a Trumper, a Trump supporter, and you don't have to be a Biden supporter. You, it doesn't matter. You can still choose to vote for whoever you want, but don't put everybody in a box based on what you hear from the media or what you hear from your left friends, right. or what you hear from your right friends, like keep an open heart and an open mind. And we only get through things as a community, as a country, when we work together, you know, yep. none of this, none then, of this divisiveness is going to help anybody. You know, I really believe that better than 90% of America has the same beliefs. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Uh, I think yeah. it's, it's the media that, and the, and the, the, the minority viewpoint, you know, of hatred and evil and blah, 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 that just seems to be the loudest voice right now. And so it almost seems like that's the majority view, but I think the majority of America wants love, wants peace, Absolutely. And wants prosperity for everybody. I couldn't agree more, brother. Couldn't agree more. Awesome. Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, sir. Um, no? I really appreciate the chance to be on your show. I really yeah, do. Man. And I'd love to do this again. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And how can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Eddie Cunningham, or even Ed Cunningham. Um, I just started, uh, even my coaching, I don't even advertise. Right. Um, I, I don't, I haven't had a need to, everything's been word of mouth. Uh, yeah. Plus, I've been so busy with, with my decon business and the, the restaurants that uh, I haven't had a lot of time to put into personal coaching. Um, I still do it. Um, they can find me on Facebook, Instagram at Edified Living. Um, and you can for email me. Econ? No, no, yeah, the Instagram, Edified Living is just uh, okay. my own personal one that, you know, is my kind of my coaching business. And they can find um, you, they can find all your other stuff through there. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Uh, and then they can email me at edc, so edc, at firstrespondercon.com and that's d-e-c-o-n.com nice nice awesome man well i appreciate everything about you man i love watching your journey um i think we connected through one of our friends from arizona a mutual friend in arizona uh and um yeah man it's been it's been fun being friends with you and and watching your stuff online and i appreciate you as a vet i appreciate you as a first responder um, I appreciate you more importantly as a human being trying to make change in the world, man. I appreciate that. Uh, brother, I appreciate you. Thank you for making this platform that we can come on and talk about this stuff because it, it needs to be talked about and shared. hundred percent. I appreciate your work. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, Ed. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. All right. Take Thank care. you all for tuning in. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you again so much for tuning in, taking your time out of your day to listen to the show. I very much appreciate it. Always looking for guests for the show. If you got a powerful story, everyone has a story. Your story might actually help somebody, might change their life, or better yet, even save their life. Uh, something you went through at some point in your life um, and you've overcome, somebody else is going through right now, and you could help them by sharing it. Be a guest on the show, share your story, change someone's life. Reach out to me today to book your guest spot. Pat at patking.com is my email. Put in the subject podcast guest and I'll get back to you immediately. Thank you again and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Oh, thank you.